In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve, to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it is the Lord who brought you out of, the, out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it is the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. And Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread. The Lord has given you to eat. So Jen and I uh, have been watching Welcome to Wrexham, which documents actors Rob McElhaney and Ryan Reynolds' purchase of a struggling uh, Welsh football club, Wrexham AFC. The team was founded in 1854, but has been in decline since the steel industry and the coal industry closed. In fact, 20 years ago, uh, public outrage forced the owner to resign after it was revealed that he was deliberately trying to bankrupt the organization and try to sell off the stadium. 4,000 or so fans pooled their money together, called themselves the Wrexham Supporters Trust, and took ownership, keeping the team afloat, barely. Even so, the trust is a bit suspicious of these two Hollywood stars and their takeover bid. After all, neither are our fans of the team nor even follow the sport. Before voting on whether to approve this sale, 
they, meet, they all meet on Zoom. And the first question is the obvious one. Why do you want to do this? And Rob answers first. A native of Philadelphia, Rob describes seeing the Eagles win the 2018 Super Bowl as one of the greatest moments of his life, up there with the birth of his children. He says, anyone who has experienced anything like that knows exactly what I'm talking about. And it's not even what happened on the field. It's what it meant to an entire community of people and to my relationships with my friends and family and the city of Philadelphia. I really believe we can make something like that happen here. And I want to be here for that. I want to be a part of that. And I hope you'll allow us to achieve something like that with you. Now, I imagine that an explanation like that might fall flat with some people with no interest in sports, people who are dead inside. They might not get it. But actually, I think that right there gets at why sports can be so powerful. So powerful that, in fact, I think sports in that way can help us understand why something like glory is such a big theme in the scriptures. The Bible makes such a fuss about glory. Part of that is because we are creatures made in the image of God. So you cannot fully understand who we are without understanding glory and the role it plays. You know, when the Eagles defeated the Patriots in Super Bowl 52, it was a moment of glory, and not just for the team itself. Their glory radiated from them to their fans in the stadium and continued to radiate out to the entire city of Philadelphia. They all shared in it. Whatever may have divided Philadelphians on Saturday could not withstand the glory that fell upon them on Sunday, that Sunday night. It literally became a, you know, a city of brotherly love, a city full of best friends. They were transformed by glory. Now, before Moses shows up uh, with this calling from God, Israel had seen glory. They were familiar with it. Not their own. Not one they got to share in, but they've seen it in Pharaoh. Pharaoh's own glory and his realm of glory. Glory radiated from his throne and his architectural feats. And of course, there was the Nile, which made this what would have otherwise been a desert region into this lush and fertile region that, was, that had become incredibly wealthy. And they not only witness this glory, they are tasked with supplying that glory on their backs. 
the Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, who is UCC, argues that the book of Exodus is a battle for glory. Whose glory is going to shape God's people? Pharaoh's or Yahweh's? Last week, with his chariots and horses, Pharaoh stormed after Israel. But Yahweh makes clear that all this is going to do, all this is going to do is going to allow Yahweh to deliver the knockout punch in this battle for glory. Here's what God says in uh, chapter 14, verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them so that I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians shall know I am the Lord. Catch it? It's okay if you didn't because Here's what Yahweh says just a few verses later. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his armies, his chariots, and his chariot drivers. That was verse 17 of that chapter. Here's verse 18. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his chariot drivers. And, what, and it's true. And when Israel sees the Egyptian army doing the dead man's float in the Red Sea, glory. Glory breaks out all over the place. The chapter records the songs they sang and danced to. No doubt they painted their faces and waved big foam number one fingers with Yahweh's name on it. Everybody was just everybody's best friend. It was a moment that they were transformed by glory. But then their glorious God leads them into the wilderness. Now, we can have sort of romantic notions of what wilderness is. When the Bible refers to wilderness, it's not talking about a place where nature flourishes and where life is abundant. It, it, no, it means quite the opposite. The wilderness does not support life. The wilderness threatens life. It's a place where you feel helpless and lost. It's a place where chaos reigns. So here's Israel. Israel had witnessed Pharaoh's glory, did not share in it. They were victims of it. And now finding themselves in the wilderness, to them it's like the same thing all over again. They are going to be the victims. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt while we sat around pots of meat and ate our fill of bread. Instead of starving to death in this God-forsaken place. You know, they, they don't see themselves as living within the realm of glory. They see themselves as dying slowly in the wilderness. You know, one of the things that's sort of interesting here is there's this real emphasis on their, their complaining. You know, but what started this 
put this whole plan in motion were their, uh, their cries, they, they cried out, right? So their cries put this all in motion. You know, they couldn't bear to be cogs in Pharaoh's glory machine any longer, and so they cried out, and Yahweh heard them. But that's not what they're doing here. They're not crying out. They're complaining. And, that, and not even directly to God. I mean, yeah, it's about God, but they're going to aim it at Moses and Aaron. And as we just read, I mean, there, there's a clear emphasis on calling them out on this. God specifically calls them out and says, yeah, okay, I hear you. I get it. I, you know, that what you're telling me, yeah, of course, of course you wanted to go out that way. Yeah, surrounded by family and friends and, and those pots of meat. Uh, but just do me a solid. Come out to me this evening. Uh, I've got something to show you. And here's a hint. Bring a pot. Quails in the evening, manna in the morning. Meat and bread. Now, they call the bread manna, which literally means, what is it? Which actually sounds a bit like uh, Abbott and Costello routine. Hey, what's on the menu? What is it? That's uh, where you list the food and what you're offering. Yeah, I know what a menu is. Okay, so what's on it? What is it? Right? Huh? Pretty good? Okay. That, but that's as far as it goes. So if you didn't like it, then that's it. All right. God does not explain what it is. But that's not the real question it's supposed to prompt. The real question God wants them to ask is, who is this? Who is this that can bring meat and bread on a daily basis in the wilderness? Whose glory is so great that even in even wilderness is transformed into the realm of glory? At twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning, you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God. Now that sounds a lot like what God was saying earlier when dealing with Pharaoh. There's a two-word addition, and everything hinges on those two words. You shall know that I am Yahweh, your God. Yahweh has taken them out of Egypt, but now Yahweh is determined to take the Egypt out of them. God responded to their cries and outgloried Pharaoh. Now God is responding to their complaints and going to give them glory. You will know that I am Yahweh, your God. I mean, this isn't just a meal plan. This is about getting a daily dose of glory in the last place one would expect to receive glory. Enough for, for that day, no more except on the day of rest. Every morning, every morning, Israel is going to wake up 
and gather some of that, what is it? And know who gave it. Every morning, an opportunity to know who this God is and whose God this is. I am Yahweh, your God. You know, the truth is that there is something very appealing about the glory of Pharaoh. First of all, those pots of meat, right? Some translations have it flesh pots, which makes it, mmm, sounds so tasty. But Pharaoh's glory is an obvious glory. It's like winning the Super Bowl or the lottery. It's, it's all the glory you could ever want right there in front of you. And those moments are worth celebrating. But they're not sustainable. Because even if they keep coming, what happens is they lose their luster. You know, researchers interviewed 22 lottery winners to determine the impact on their level of happiness over time. And it turns out they weren't any happier than the 22 other people, those are people chosen at random. Uh, in fact, their happiness levels changed about as much as the happiness levels of 22 paraplegics. Yeah, winning the lottery offered them pleasures they'd never, they, they, they would have never known unless they had struck it rich. But the, the pleasure of that was offset by the fact that the ordinary stuff that used to give them pleasure no longer did it for them. And life is so full of just ordinary stuff. But what, but what if, what if we have a God for whom even the wilderness is not outside the realm of glory? A God who each day again meets the needs of that day, who makes each and every day a gift. What would it be like to know who that God is and to know that this God is your God? This is, after all, not only a God who transforms a wasteland into a farmer's market, but a public execution into a coronation ceremony. Even death, even death is not beyond the realm of glory. You cannot know that God and know that that God is your God only in times of abundance, but you can know that that God is your God in times of scarcity. And when you know that, you cannot but be transformed. To have that glory residing in you is to have the beginnings of having all your relationships transformed. Strangers become friends, friends become family, grudges are abandoned. And how do you get to that point? How do you learn to have that glory residing in you? Well, you do it every day. Like those Israelites, getting up each morning to gather there. What is it? Not to gather, try to gather it all. Not expecting to be supplied with enough to be set for life, but enough for that day. 
daily bread. Enough for this day's wilderness and this day's challenges. Enough to fend off this day's pharaohs. To do that, to live a life like that, is not only to have a life that is, whose journey ends in glory, it is to have a life of glory all along the way. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen.